Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome inside Garage Door Sports. Your no-holds-barred weekly discussion on everything in the sporting world. For all your news on hockey, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, and more, you've come to the right place. And now, it's time for your hosts, Nick McVicker, Kyle Vardy, and Irfan Manji. Another week, another episode of Garage Door Sports. We are now on episode 58 since the relaunch. 91 overall, boys. I can't believe we're getting up to that century mark. It's kind of amazing. Nick McVicker in studio, joined through the Garage Door Sports Cup phone by my two amazing co-hosts, Kyle Vardy and Irfan Namanji. Kyle, I think I know the answer to this question, but how are you doing today, bud? I'm tired, but I'm happy to talk sports, and it's that time of year, so... So I could have replayed what you said last week. Good to know. All right. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't even have to ask anymore. You can just play a clip every week. It's pretty much <laughs> I will remember that for next week. Irfan, how are you doing, man? Good. For once, I slept. Sorry, Kyle. But just I got some sleep. In a little bit, I yeah. did. I'm sorry. I also got a coffee today, so I have some energy. Oh, my goodness. Um, He's all yeah, ready. like it's a different day. It's a different uh, approach. It's a different Irfan. So. Yeah, it's the Masters. What do you expect, man? You got to be up, ready to go. Today you have to be up extra early. Um, we're going to talk Masters in our kickoff segment, but we also will talk NHL and NFL later in the show. But let's get right into our kickoff segment, sponsored by the Canada Kicking Academy. Calling all kickers and punters in the Southern Ontario region. If you are looking for year-round professional development with elite competition, you need to train with the Canada Kicking Academy. The Farrar brothers, Daniel and Gabriel, are both University of Guelph alumni, and after illustrious university careers, they want to teach you everything they've learned over the years. If you want to take your special teams game to the next level, you need to train with the Canada Kicking Academy. Visit them at canadakickingacademy.com and follow them on Instagram at Canada Kicking Academy. And it was so nice last week having our golf analyst, Matt Hutt, on that we decided why not do it again? So Matt is joining us once again. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. Wide awake. Life is good. It's Master Saturday. Man, everyone is just taking jabs at Kyle for being tired. This is great. I love it. Um, yeah, it is Master Saturday, as you said. Some people finishing round two just to figure out who's going to make the actual weekend rounds. Um, but let's get into the conversation. And has anyone really, really surprised you so far, Matt, other than Bryson DeChambeau not playing as well as everyone assumed he would? Um, well, my, my biggest surprise was Bernard Langer, the 63-year-old making the cut. I think he's three under, might be four under. Uh, yeah, three under. So, I mean, that, that's unbelievable. And if you're, you're looking for a game to simulate, you, you should watch him early Saturday morning, Sunday morning, because uh, that's uh, very close to what most of the amateurs are playing. Absolutely. I mean, he's the guy that you kind of emulate at this point in time. Um, we talked last week about the weather possibly playing a factor. How has it played a factor so far through Thursday and Friday? Well, this has been absolutely unusual um we're seeing augusta national the softest conditions you could possibly have them i've been seeing balls just plug in as if they've been thrown like darts um that you don't see that at augusta national usually you get the the hard bounce off the back or a hard bounce off the side and you're down in the gully or down in the water but we haven't seen that yet and that's just due to the the rain that they got before um the 
weather right now is looking really good. Uh, they've got some sunshine. Um, it's going to be a little bit colder for the weekend, but um, I, I can assume that the course is going to start playing a little bit tougher this weekend. Yeah, I, I could see that as well. Um, Kyle, got any questions? Um, I guess like we, we were talking just before the show. Um, who's the dark horse to win right now is, is my real question. Obviously, there's what, five, six guys tied at nine under, but then there's also three or four at eight. Um, who do you, who can you see, uh, I guess, on moving day, really, really jumping up there? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell you like a dark horse because, I mean, I'm looking at all these names and we were having this, this discussion, like Adam Scott is not a dark horse, but at the same time, he kind of is um, a previous Masters winner. I look at a guy like Roy McIlroy and for some reason would probably be in that conversation. Um, if you really want a, a really underdog guy um i'd be looking at matt wallace um he's been playing very well he had a bit of a fumble uh, earlier today um but he's still in it minus one um he can get up there uh brooks kepka again I, dark horse sure he's never won at augusta uh he's five under um my my guy the canadian guy Corey connors I, I hope he does well um that'd be my third final run out of the dark horses what no jazz come on man ah jazz still has a way to go uh i don't see him making a run unfortunately on uh he's four under he's he's around that same area of absolutely but is he going to play well on the weekend that's a different beast well we don't know if anyone's gonna play well on the weekend yet so uh like sorry sorry just before that i like i I asked the question but obviously like i I look at a guy like almost like denny willett too where he's seven under but Uh, again dark horse really yeah, maybe not dark horse, but it's also one of those ones where would you could would you think of him as winning ahead of say Rom or DJ? Probably not. Right. That's that that's more my opinion as, as to one of those guys where it's they're in contention and if they have a good day, who knows, right? It's one of those there, there seems to be a lot of a lot of those those guys hanging around. Um but yeah, that, that was more just what I was trying to go for. Erfan, it's all you. Yeah, thanks. Um you mentioned uh, the amateurs early morning, Saturday, Sunday. Are there any amateurs in the competition that you think could win? Um, obviously, as horses that dark horses that could maybe get to the next step or, I guess, surprise everyone? Well, uh, amateurs, uh, that's always a hard sell to, to actually win the Masters. Uh, we've got two of them that made the cut. You've got Augustine and Ogletree, um, who've actually played uh, against each other in 2019 at the U.S. Amateur. Um, I, I believe Ogletree was the runner-up there, and Augustine won the U.S. Amateur, um, and that's a match play head-to-head, so they, they know each other very well, um, so they'll be vying for that top amateur position, and uh, it, just winning the, the low amateur is a feat in and of itself, and if you look at who has won that in the past, uh, you've got Bryson DeChambeau, you have uh, Morikawa, who's won it in the past, like that, that's a, a big feat, and that's what they're focusing on right now. Absolutely. Um, in terms of Canadians, I know you mentioned Connors, but is there another Canadian on the field that could make a, a run for it either today or, or tomorrow? Hey, man, Mike Weir, the legend. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope he can find something. Um, he's been playing very well, just kind of a slow and steady pace. And if he can keep it under para, it, he'll have a strong finish. Um, hopefully he can get something out of the bag. That would That would be a hell of a story honestly <laughs> no kidding yeah <laughs> if he i mean even if he can that. get himself in the top 30 uh, he's yeah. started to play well again and 
it's just getting those exemptions into other tournaments. That's what's at stake right now for him, right? If you, yeah. you can crack the top 30, you can start getting invites to other tournaments and try to get his game back onto it. So. Yeah, and I mean, he's sitting at one under right now, which is just two shots outside of the top 30. So it's it's yep. not unrealistic that he could crack that top 30 by the end of Sunday. Um, we talked last week about first-time players not necessarily dealing with the normal master's stresses that they would in a normal year. There's a bunch of them up near the top of the leaderboard right now. Uh, Answer, M, Pan, like you got a few big names up there. Or yeah. not big names, but first-time names up there. Um, how big of an impact do you think that has been on the tournament so far? I, I look at Abraham Answer and I look at him and I've been watching them play. And they've been just throwing darts at the pins. And that's usually not how you're supposed to go after Augusta National. But because of how wet it's been, um, they've been able to do that. And I think as soon as the course starts to dry up, uh, unfortunately, I I can see these two guys struggling and kind of sliding maybe a little bit down the leaderboard. Um, But they're great players, right? Abraham answers 25th in the world, I believe. And him is in the top 30, definitely. so these are good players. They're, they're not slouches, and we'll see what they can do on the weekend. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and it would be the first time since, I believe, the 70s that a first-time player, if one yeah, of them pulled Miller. it off. Yeah, since Absolutely. Yes, exactly. So it would be it would be an interesting story for sure. Uh, Kyle? I got to ask, what are the thoughts on our boy Tiger, and what are, what are his chances there? T-Dub. You know, he's been playing really well. If his putter can start – cooperating just a little bit um he'll be right in it um he's been hitting a large amount of greens and the misses have not been horrible um he's been on the side of greens and he he got up and down this morning there three times uh, with just beautiful chips so honestly it's just his putter if his putter can wake up and he can start lipping some of them in instead of lipping out uh, he'll be up there um you, you can never exclude tiger at the masters oh not at Augusta at all yeah, that would be foolish for sure. And I mean, that's the, it also comes into play where his experience is so valued. You see some of the shots that he's playing and I, I look at just 11 and he didn't really try to go for the green early morning. He was just trying to run it up there and give himself a, a chance at it. Where I look at a guy like him and I look at a guy like answer first timers, they're licking their chops with a five iron from 200 yards out over water. And all of a sudden it's, you're looking at bogey in the face. So his experience is, extremely valuable and you know he's gonna go for it like it it is tiger he does not understand how to play behind the leader at all like he (laughs) wants he wants that first place every second of every day yeah he's hungry for it that's for sure and i mean to defend and become the first back-to-back winner since you know himself himself the early 2000s would (laughs) be uh, would be a nice little bookend almost to his master's uh career yeah going into the weekend we know that the conversation will will result around Bryson DeChambeau, whether or not he even makes the weekend. What really unraveled for him in the first two rounds? Well, Bryson, and I mean, I talked about this last week a little bit, and distance is not necessarily uh, the be-all, end-all at Augusta. Um, and I think it bit him this week. Uh, cutting those corners, you really have blind shots throughout. And then, of course, number three, uh, the, the triple bogey that he had there where he lost the ball and had to re-tee, um, which, by the way, they actually found the ball later 
Um, actually... As he was walking back, they, they found the ball, but it was too late by that point. Oh, um, no. And they just weren't looking in the correct spot. And I, I kind of feel like, you know, he got bitten by the fact that there were no patrons. Um, if there were fans out there, he would be able, they would be able to tell him, yeah, it's, it's up here. It's over here. And just everyone missed it, unfortunately. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, you get caught. I mean, you're talking to golfers like me and Kyle who go looking for balls almost every tee shot. <laughs> Sometimes you think a ball should be somewhere and it's just not there because it rolled a certain way or it took a weird bounce that no one expected. And I guess with no fans, you're right. There's no one to be standing right by where the ball's going to land. Yeah. And I mean, uh, number three in the left side, that's, there's a little canteen hut there normally. And uh, there'd be tons of people milling around over there. They, they would have heard it. They would have seen it. And I'm looking at the replay and they, they weren't even close. They weren't in the right vicinity to find this ball. Um, partly probably because he hits it too far. Um, but hey, he got bitten that time and it's, it cost him. It looks like he's going to make the, the weekend though. So that's good. Um, glad it didn't completely derail him, but he still has a long way to go. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if he does. I think it uh, – are they done? Yeah, it looks like they are done. So, he yeah, has made the weekend. On the just, cut line. Just barely, but he made the weekend. 50, yeah. He, he made it hard for himself, too, on the 18th hole. Boy, uh, he was unraveled. He put it long, and then his chip just trickled all the way down to the front end of the green. And he was lucky to two-putt that, honestly, that he put himself into a position that he could have missed the cut. And uh, I, I think – Part of it was he, he felt as if he wasn't playing well, and probably that triple bogey probably played a factor. Uh, it rattles your mind, and you all of a sudden you're down on yourself. And, yeah, it's, it's a lonely place out there at that point. Oh, absolutely. And that also means that there is, I think, at least three. Or did, all, did all four Canadians? No, Hadwin did miss the cut. No, so three out of yeah. four Canadians made the cut at the Masters. This was our biggest con- Canadian contingent since 61 when yeah. we had five. So that's pretty yeah, impressive that three of them made it. Uh, very impressive. Um, it's great for Canadian golf. Um, hopefully that gives uh, some uh, credit to our McKenzie tour up here. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it's great news. And I hope they do well. Absolutely. Um, last question from everyone. Kyle, do you have one more? Um, da, 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 da. you are allowed to say no i just no i honestly i don't think i do i'm i'm honestly kind of excited to see how the rounds go today um because there's lots of people in contention so i'm kind of interested to see where the dominoes fall so fair enough uh Irfan. yeah i got one <clears throat> excuse go me it. um so the masters is going to be the next major that's going to be played next season correct yeah so with back-to-back masters, what happens with hole placement? Well, this year and next year to avoid familiarity between players, right? Well, that's a that's a super good question because we haven't seen this. We haven't been in this territory before, and I wouldn't put it past um, the the Green Jacket Commission to uh, alter some of the typical pin placements. Even this weekend, um, you you may see some pin locations that are not typical. Um, I think specifically sixteen. Uh, usually on Saturday, you're going to see it in the top right of the shelf there. And, you you know, they, they may change that. They may just put it down in back left or something completely wonky just because, you know, you don't want to have a repeat stage for stage um, in four months from now. 
Um, the, the master's commission prides itself on being able to alter this course to fit whatever scenario they're looking at. And uh, I think, yeah, you're going to see some different pin locations either this weekend or in four months from now. That's, that's an interesting concept too. Cause I mean, when you play public courses like me and Kyle, you see some really weird hole locations. Some of them aren't really great, but when you get onto like a pro course, like Glen Abbey or Augusta, those greens are hard and there's only certain places where the holes are really favorable for the golfers. So we could see some really, really tough pin locations, I think either this year or next year. Um, honestly, yeah, go sorry. ahead, Matt. Sorry. On, honestly, ahead. just on that note, I, I think you're going to see some really tough pin locations today. Um, just because the scoring is so low, uh, Augusta needs to get its teeth back. And the one way they can do that is put a couple of them tucked behind some bunkers. So this, this is going to be a fun day. That could really upset some golfers. Yep. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun to watch. Um, that'll do it for our Masters conversation. Matt, as always, great job. We're going to keep you on. We're going to talk some NHL and NFL. We'll keep you on. If you want to say something, you're more than welcome to. If not, hey, you get to listen to a free conversation. So <laughs> Should be good. I can't wait. We're going to take a quick break here. We will be back after the break to talk NHL realignment with everyone here. back matt hutt joining us for our master's talk he's going to stay on now to talk some nhl and big news coming out this week other than the reverse god-awful retros that some of these teams are going to be bringing out there's going to be a couple that are good and we'll get into that i guess later but we're going to talk about the realignment possibilities across the nhl and this week it, it was brought out that they might go into temporary hubs there's also talk that that might not happen, but there's, there is conversation that might go into temporary hubs and play just within your division sort of thing. And obviously there's the Canadian division is well known. That's probably going to be a guarantee at this point that the seven Canadian teams will play in one division. So outside of that, there's a few different options that have been tossed around and uh, the score did a great job putting them together. And one of the options is a four divisional system where the Canadian division is by itself. Then there's the West which is Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, Dallas, Los Angeles, Minnesota, San Jose, and Vegas. The South Central, which is Carolina, Chicago, Columbus, Detroit, Florida, St. Louis, Nashville, and Tampa. And then the East Division, which is Boston, Buffalo, New Jersey, both New York teams, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington. That would result in every team in those American divisions playing each other six to seven times and the Canadian teams, because they're talking about a 48 game schedule. That would mean that every single one of the Canadian teams are playing each other eight times. That's a lot of familiarity for teams here, boy. <laughs> uh, Kyle, what do you think of that uh, alignment possibility there? The alignment possibility is fine. I think playing eight games against the same teams is absolutely stupid i get you actually have to do it but i think halfway through the year you're going to get people that are bored of those matchups 
Um, I think I think the fact that on a regular schedule you can switch it up. You have, you know, on every every given night you could be playing a different team. Yes, you still play teams in your division, obviously, but yeah. you play different teams. Brings different atmospheres. Sometimes you get those matchups that are that are unique and you don't always get all the time. If you're, it's it's basically like being a dead horse. It's essentially. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is like in a normal year, you play every team twice and then the teams in your division, you play four times, right? Like that's, that's a normal year. Yeah. But the one thing that this offers is uh, a lot of the East Coast teams and East Coast fans who don't usually stay up till 10 or one in the morning, I guess, for the end of the game to see the West Coast teams. So us in Toronto and Ottawa and Montreal are now going to see the Vancouver Canucks and the young Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen players. And we'll get to see the Calgary team with Monaghan and Goudreau and all these guys that we don't normally see very often. So it might actually be a good thing for the NHL in that scenario, because you're going to get more recognition for these West coast stars in the East coast media. Whereas in the West coast, they can watch all, all the games because it's just normal daytime for them. Yeah. I think you can get that, but I think you're also going to lose a lot of that too. Once they go out West for that, those trips. Well, it depends. It depends on where if they do a hub city or if they do the travel in Canada. I think they're going to have to do a hub city in Canada. That's the problem. You would think. I would. I, that's, I said. But, I think. <laughs> but the NHL, knowing the NHL, they're going to make them travel. To be honest, it's just the, no. I think the Canadian one was always going to be a hub city. They've they've talked about that since the beginning. Yeah. The other teams, the ones in the states, I believe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So like, if the, the hub city, I'm assuming it's probably Vancouver, or Toronto. So if it's in Toronto, I think it benefits everybody. If it's in Vancouver. Well, if it's in Vancouver, they're playing games earlier, though, because there's no fans, so they don't have to push the games until 7 p.m. No, I understand that, but it's also NHL has the scheduling, right? They're not they're not just going to prioritize the Canadian teams. They're going to all the other the three other divisions have to play as well. I know, but the thing is, with a hub city, they have to play games. They have to play more than one game a day. Yeah, fair. So there's going to be multiple games throughout the day. It's not going to be just one game at 7 p.m. Pacific time. It just it wouldn't yeah. work. The other thing that could be cool is uh, I think Matt brought this up when we were talking pre-game or pre-show um, about the Kachuk brothers. Matt, you want to bring that up? Oh man, I so Ottawa fan, of course. Un, uh, well, unfortunately, maybe this past uh, couple seasons, but um, <laughs> I'm super excited to see a Kachuk versus Kachuk, potentially even eight times. Um, I, I think that would spark a little bit of a rivalry there, which we normally don't see. Um, yeah, no, yeah, it's keep going at it, uh, brother, brotherly love. It'll be fun. And that's the thing. We're going to get rivalries that we normally wouldn't get. Like the Leafs versus Calgary could be a fun eight game series. Ottawa versus Calgary could be a fun eight game series for the Kachucks, obviously. Montreal, Vancouver could turn into a really fun series of great goaltending versus young stars out in Vancouver, right? If Price plays as good as he has the potential to play. There's a possibility for like rivalries that we never would have expected. And that's the one thing that this kind of realignment offers. What great goaltending is in Vancouver? No, great goaltending from Price against the young stars oh, in Vancouver. Okay. I was going to say, I don't think there's a I great understood that. Don't worry. You got that, Irfan? <laughs> no, I, I understood it the, Kyle, the way Kyle did. So it's like you're, you're comparing Demko and Price. Okay, I'm just fine. <laughs> I, will work, I will work better on my explanation. Jeez. Maybe Holtby in his prime, you could compare that, but. <laughs> Maybe. Even then, he wasn't a great regular season goalie all every year that he was good in the playoffs. Anyways, Irfan, what are your thoughts on the re- that, that realignment? Um, I'm a little indifferent in the sense that, yeah, I get the fact that you're playing each other eight times and that might take away the intensity. But at the same time, 
we might actually see good hockey. Like maybe the first three, four games against your rival, it's going to be like fighting and bench clearing. And then the next four, it's like, you know what? I need points now. And and we might actually see the games being about skill and scoring versus let me kick your ass because I don't like you, right? Like I think we're going to see a transition between that and whether that is the first four games or the, the last four games, I think there'll be a combination of that. So in a way it's good. Um, and at the same time, having Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid play eight times, I think is great for the NHL. Um, so, I mean, that's really good. And I mean, it, Connor McDavid undressing Morgan Riley last year, it could be another motivator for Morgan Riley who needs a new contract, I believe at the end of this year or next year to yeah. really get going and be like, well, you know what, to prove to everyone that I can shut him down. This is, I have eight games to do it. Right. So, I don't know. I'm okay with it. Um, I, I mean, there's a bunch of different uh, alignment options. And, and I think out of the three that they've proposed, I think I like this one the most. Um, and and if we have a hub in the West, I think games will start like um, one o'clock uh, in the, in the West and make yeah. its way to seven o'clock Eastern time. So I, I think it'll be very similar to the hub that was over the summer, yeah. which was really cool. And I think it brought in a lot of fans. So I think I like, the first of the three alignments. I don't like the third one because I'm biased because I don't want to see Buffalo, Washington, and Pittsburgh play Boston every week because um, we're going to get murked, and that's just a fan opinion here from me, but uh, I'd rather not. I'd rather have a Keep chance your to... bias is out. No. no, but, like, I'd rather have a chance of, you know, spreading it out and getting a New Jersey team that doesn't know their identity yet and being able to beat down on them and get some... Watch play. New Jersey figure it out this year. Holy shit. No, don't talk about that. P.K. Subban wins the Norris. <laughs> Fun. It's the same with me for that final one. Like I wouldn't want Toronto playing Ottawa and Montreal fucking hundred. No, because the thing is, the Sens and the Habs have played the Leafs really, really well over the last couple of years, right? And I think that's the problem. And Julian knows what he's doing. DJ Smith knows what he's doing against um, Toronto, and it's just using their body and out physically playing them, right? It's it's not about skill in that in that divisional series. But if, if I'm if I'm Toronto, I'm also not happy that I have to play Winnipeg and Edmonton because they notoriously don't play well against those two teams no so maybe not good for the Leafs or this realignment but it, it, it would show them that they need to improve their defensive game which is something we've been yelling at them for the last couple of years you can't just run and gun now you have eight games against the same teams right on yeah. average so you can't play a run and gun with everybody maybe Vancouver would work out as a run and gun or maybe Calgary but or maybe Edmonton there's four other teams that you can't do that with because they will hit you Fair yeah. enough. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. It's like mini mini playoff series within the division, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah. You would hope. Yeah. I, You'd hope. I have a bit of a question for you guys, though. I mean, so uh, I understand, first of all, let me preemphase this with I understand that this is not in the conversation right now, but let's say this does generate some extremely good rivalries. Um, like you guys just said, what would be the appetite at that point from a um, generating interest in the league? for the NHL to maybe make this a little bit more permanent and have a Canadian division in there that can generate fan support? Personally, I don't think they would go with an all-Canadian division um, just because they're trying to grow the game still in the States, and the best way to do it is to have Canadian games as well. So they want to play off against a little bit more. Maybe making it so that it, the Canadian teams play each other four times and then play everyone else twice might work, but I don't know if they would go for it full time. Kyle, mm -hmm. what about you? Um, to be honest with how the NHL is right now, I don't know. Uh, they're, they're so 
to me, I was like back and forth with the, the kind of directions they want to go. And at one point they were talking about doing bubbles and now they're potentially doing hub cities or they're not, or they just haven't decided yet. So I don't know. There's a, there is a good possibility that, you know, who knows how long this actually lasts. This could be a year or two process comparatively to just this one season. That's true. So um, I could hundred percent see it being for the next two or three years, potentially if things continue or if things don't get better with, you know, with COVID and everything that's going on. So um, I could hundred percent see it. I don't know if it'd be permanent, but I could definitely see it being a, like a semi-permanent two or three year thing down mm-hmm. the road. Yeah. I think based on conditions now we could see it happening, but the, the thing I see the NHL changing, probably, maybe not, but it's like the playoff conference change, right? Like going back to maybe top eight playing each other. Um, like I can see that being the next step rather than keeping the divisions uh, just for COVID. I mean, at the same time, if you're playing, let's say the Montreal Canadiens 24 times in a span of three years, um, sometimes at one point fans are going to be like, yeah, I don't want to see the Leafs and the Habs play anymore, you know? Um, yeah. Or something like that. So I think that's what they run the risk of dealing well, I don't with. Think, I think if they keep the divisions the way they are, they, it will go back to the you play everyone in your division four times and then everyone else too sort of thing. Like I don't think yeah. it would be – I don't think it would be the same. Um, well, if we're still in a hub – game, Eight games a year. True, but if we're, if we're still in a hub, then what do you do? Do you like rotate and play your hub? Like that would be interesting. It's like you play your hub for maybe three games each and then move to the next hub and play – like you rotate like that. I don't know how safe that would be, but I mean, I could see something like that maybe happening. Yeah. I don't know the, the the safety of it, but like imagine having that Montreal-Boston rivalry, right? Like you go, yeah. you've just played the Leafs three times, you've played the Sens three times, and now you're going to go play Boston for three times in their, in their Metro hub or something. Yeah. Or you're going to see Vancouver and the new Seattle Kraken team get a chance to play, even though they're not in the, the same division. So maybe something along those lines, but... See, my only concern with the All Canadian Division is is really simple. Past this year, is that there will be thirty two teams and there's only seven Canadian teams. So if they're going to go with a four division system, one American team will have to be included in the Canadian division. Well, Detroit's basically Canada. So is Seattle. Honestly, so, so is Buffalo. Too. Yeah, that's true. Or Buffalo. Buffalo is the honorary uh, Toronto. <laughs> yeah, they they adopted the Blue Jays for a year, so they become honorary Toronto. Well, and that's why I'm thinking potentially once Seattle gets in there, they might move to that five division one. Yeah, I think that's an option. So, but then, but still, then not all the divisions are even anyway. So, yeah, but Canada would have one extra team anyways. So, like, if you add Seattle in to say probably the more like Pacific region, probably, yeah. um, then it's two divisions that have eight. seven and one. Seven. Yeah, one that five division, you got to play each other nine to 10 times. That's crazy. Yeah. That's not, yeah, but again, that would be just next year, right? Like, it's, yeah. not, it's not for the years after when we actually have Seattle in and this conversation becomes yeah. valid. Um, right. but that's a great question, though, Matt. Like, I actually hadn't thought of that. So, <laughs> you know, actually, the, the three conference eight division thing could be something they could run with if they plan on this model being something for the next two, three years because it splits up the teams to east and west, but then. I don't know, like eight how do you, how divisions. Do you do playoffs with three conferences, though. Uh, I think they wrote down here division people clinch, so you got to win your division, and then they'll play wild cards. So everyone in the division goes through, and then they have like what four wild cards or five wild cards or something. Yeah, like yeah like, something like that. Kind of like baseball seeding, essentially. So it ends up being like. Oh. 
it's just ridiculous with that one though. Like if you're Canada East, which is the Habs, Sens, and Toronto, you play each other twelve times, and then you play the West six times. So you, no, I don't know, you. I don't no, know. No, I think at that you. see at that point, like I think um, you know roster moves should be different uh, to allow for new faces and fresh faces. So you have a little bit more. Yeah, but if you already have your best team out there, you're not gonna take players out. Just no, but if you you're want fresh face. <laughs> no, but if you're gonna play the Habs twelve times and you're gonna get banged up, for example, then why yeah. not? have instead of maybe one or two roster moves like with the 23 man roster extended to 30 so you have a little bit more yeah i, I get what you're saying for sure yeah. i just it's not gonna thing, happen the other thing that i would be worried about of having a permanent all canadian division is the chance that there will never be an all canadian final not that it's there's a real yeah. chance that it's gonna happen anytime <laughs> soon necessarily but there's no chance of it if there is an all canadian division realistically unless there's a crossover somehow right and that's unless they reseed uh, yeah but that would have to be a reseed across all the divisions because if you have the canadian conferences in the i don't know the east or something like if they're having two conferences and two divisions in each conference if there's an all canadian division no there's no there's no way that you can have an all canadian final yeah you can have an all-Canadian conference final, but you can never have an all-Canadian final, which is obviously well, the pipe dream of all Canadian hockey fans. But I guess it depends on how it'd be reseeded in the playoffs. Yeah, because the top four, course, right? Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, there, it would limit how the opportunity of that happening. For sure. There's not really much of an opportunity now for it, but 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 I don't know. Like, you look at the teams that are in Canada right now. Like, Vancouver's getting better. They have a lot of young guns. You have Edmonton, which should be good at some point if they got goaltending and played defense. defense. Yeah. But like they should be good at some point. You have Ottawa who is young and has the potential of lots of good young players joining their roster this year. You have Montreal who showed really good flashes in the playoffs last year. And if Carey Price can get back to his, the who we expect Carey Price to be this year, which he showed in the playoffs this year, they could be better than they were last year. Mm-hmm. And then you have Toronto and Winnipeg who I mean, let's be honest, they, they've been perennial playoff contenders the last couple of years, and Calgary as well, you throw them in. That's seven teams that are going to be good this year. You might not be, they might not be cup contenders just yet, but there's some building blocks on every single team. So then a question for you, because it, it'll, be, um, it'll be a shorter schedule again, correct? Um, so well, who be- they're, they're talking about a 48-game schedule like they've had in lockout seasons before. Right. So then who benefits from a shortened season? Because that means you have more yeah, rest to not play. not the Leafs because they always suck at the beginning of the year. Um, okay. You know, I think it's almost opposite. I think it would benefit the Leafs because it's uh, going to be more running gun games to start the year. I know, but they just always suck at the beginning of the year. The first two weeks, they're god-awful. They're like under 500 every year. Yeah. Like – to, to be honest, I think there's really two teams that really stand out for that division. I mean, Edmonton and Toronto would be the two top teams. Yeah. Um, and then I think, honestly, the three, four, five spots are really wide open. You, yeah. you could you can make the case for Vancouver. Obviously, with lo- losing Markstrom and basically half their team this year, it's who knows. Um, see, see how they bounce back. Yes, they saw the core pieces, but can they put it together with Demko as a goalie and uh, Holtby as the backup? We'll see. Um, Winnipeg looked god awful last year. The only thing that brought them to the playoffs was Hellebuck, so and that's the only thing they have going for them right now. Um, and then Ottawa's young; they finally have a goalie that they can rely on now. Uh, no disrespect to Craig Anderson, but he wasn't the goalie of the future. Um, 
they look like they see the goalie in the future when you're in your mid to late 30s. Well, I'm sorry, sorry. Uh, let's, let me let me re- rephrase that. Then. An actual starting goaltender. Sorry. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> don't be Craig wrong. Like say that. Craig Anderson could lead the Ottawa Senators to a playoff spot. They had half a team. Yeah. No, not a chance. Well, he did in 2017. Did. I mean, that team was good, but yeah. Sorry, Matt, I cut you off there. I'm saying it said exactly what you were going to say. Oh, he did in 2017, but. Yeah, but then Melnick decided to blow the team up, and then it went downhill from there. It's not 2017, and Matt Murray's a better goaltender than Craig Anderson is what I'm trying to say. I'm not uh, denying that. Okay, that's fine. I'm not denying that fact. It was just don't do Craig wrong like that. He was a very good starting goaltender for a while. I would say he was good. I wouldn't say very good. I wouldn't put him up on that pedestal yet. But um, If you compare him to the Ottawa goaltenders of the past, I think he well, might be the... Hold on, Irfan. That's that's sorry, I'm just much. tossing that in there, okay? <laughs> that's not saying much. <laughs> yeah, well, you're comparing it to Ray Emery and Patrick Laleem here, so... Um, um, don't do but, Ray Emery wrong like that. No, 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 I'm not, but I'm just saying, like, comparatively, right? Like, to be honest, I think Calgary and Winnipeg are probably the bottom of this division right now. Um, really? really? I do. Um, I don't think Calgary has it right now. I think Goudreau kind of wants out and honestly looked terrible last year. Um, I will agree to that. And I don't know how Markstrom is going to be in Calgary. I really don't. I, I think Markstrom did well with Vancouver's defensive structure. Um, but he also had one and a half good seasons. Like yeah, he hasn't and, played and, and, collectively and, well. You know, Markstrom played a lot of, of the, or Vancouver played a lot of the uh, counterattack. Like we'll be good in our defensive zone and counterattack with speed, right? So, yeah, I don't know if let's Calgary not, let's has. Also that. Not forget that they also played in that uh, Pacific Division where there's the three California teams. Fair. So, um, I think Ottawa could surprise this year. I think Montreal um, definitely got a lot better during the off season. I think they they could do well as well. Um, other than Edmonton, it could be three Eastern Canadian teams in the, in the, play, in the playoffs out of this division. So I, I'm honestly, I'm interested to see how it goes. Um, if it is a shortened season, it, anything can happen. Yeah. Um, so it's one of those. And then the, the, honestly, the division that interests me the most going outside of Canada is the East division. Oh, yeah. Essentially all the best, <laughs> all the best teams right now in the, in what the Eastern conference is other than, um, other than the best other team than, in the Eastern Conference, <laughs> other than Buffalo, but even then, Buffalo is going to be a better team this year. So Buffalo, I think Buffalo will surprise people this year. I really do. Yeah, and I think a shortened season might actually benefit them too. Like if we're talking teams down in the states that the shortened season will benefit, I think it's going to benefit the two top contenders in Tampa and Colorado because when they get to the final, or when they get to the playoffs, they're going to not be as tired. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure they'll. Those two are pretty much. If we're doing locks for playoffs, I'm pretty much locking them in unless a bunch of injuries happen. Tampa and Colorado will be in the playoffs in some position. Not necessarily first, but they'll be in the playoffs. Buffalo could benefit from a shortened season. Carolina could benefit from a shortened season. Just because I think they're both younger teams that a full season could wear them down a little bit. Playing half a season won't wear you down as much, right? So I think that could benefit both of those teams as well. Um, Irfan, is there any guys, any teams down in the States that you think could really, really benefit from the shortened season? From a shortened season, I think you look at the Rangers. Um, they moved on from Lundquist this year, but they, they're still very good. And Panarin was just a glimpse of what 
Panarin can be next year. And they signed up some good players. They picked up some free agents, right? Like, I think collectively they did. I think they might be the team of the East, to to be very honest with you. I mean, Washington's a little older, and obviously they have that fight with Lundqvist there. But I think the Rangers could be the surprise team coming out of the East, and I think they can actually win the division. And I think I said that about them last year. Like, I think they're a true playoff team. But this is my potential love it pick is I think the Rangers are, are going to surprise some teams and the Rangers and maybe even Carolina, but no, sorry, Carolina's in the South central, but um, yeah, the Rangers for sure. I, I think Philly is a glimpse of what they were last year. And I think they will be the second place team in Pittsburgh. I don't think they're going up. I think they're trending down, which well, is agree with that one for sure. rough to say. And I think Washington will be there. Um, the Isles, it, it really depends on how we're going to get the Isles to play. You know what I mean? Like they sucked in the regular season and then come playoff time. Like I told you is if they can play that, that greedy game of I'll let in one goal, but I'll score two it's going to work. Right. And I think if they can implement that for 50 games or 60 games, just through the course of the playoffs, they might be a very good team. Well, they also lost Grice too. So that's now Varlamov's team to to win or lose for for the Islanders. Okay. I have a question for you guys, Uh, Matt, you two listen, listen to this one. Um, So if the Buffalo Sabres in a 48 game season can't win, does Rob, uh, does Jack Eichel finally say that I want to move? Because I know there's been rumblings of playing playoff hockey, and if he doesn't get playoff hockey for another year, um, does he go? Well, he's not making the playoffs this year. He's not. Even even in a 48 game season, like, I mean, they have a chance to make it. Not happening. Okay, so then does he go or does he stick around? I, I think it all depends on what Taylor Hall does. I think if Taylor Hall resigns, then yeah. that that Eichel stays. Um, I think it depends because, on how they play together too before. Yeah, because I, I think it's all going to depend on, you know, if they have a good season, but they need a goaltender, I think there's a chance he stays and then they potentially go and get a goalie in the off season to really bring that team up. Yeah. Um, I think that's the biggest thing they're missing right now is I don't think they have that starting goaltender. Um, you know, Allmark and Hutton um, can be a formidable duo, I guess is what I could call them, but they're not, playoff quality goaltenders right now they're really not well it doesn't scream out at you yeah and and Allmark's young and he's he's getting better year after year but I don't think he's gonna be that guy um and so it, should it, Buffalo have gone to get Lundquist rather than Lundquist going over to no. Washington no well to be honest I think what Buffalo more needed is, is go after either Corpus Allo or um I can't think of the other guy's name right now um well, what about Matt Murray Matt Murray Matt Murray no, sorry, uh, Corpus Allo or Merzlinkas. Um, I think it's one of those guys that is young, has proven that he can kind of win some games for you, and then, uh, but is still young enough for that core to to really go with. I don't know if Matt Murray. I don't know if they would have really wanted to pay for that Matt Murray because mm-hmm. um, Buffalo doesn't really have the money to do that. So that's why I was thinking more of the Columbus goalies who are signed for what two and a half million dollars um, is more up their alley compared to paying Matt Murray because you would have. For Buffalo, you would have to pay Matt Murray like seven million dollars to stay there. So, do you think they could have snuck in a deal with Martin Jones? Because I mean, he's not the number one anymore, right? Like Devin Dubnik comes in, and I think will play more than him. Like, could you try and get Ma- um, Martin Jones for a cut deal, tell the the Sharks to eat some money, and then bring him in or something? Come trade deadline, if they realize that goaltending is a problem, they're like three points out. It's it's a real possibility for sure. Um, I don't know if Matt uh, Martin Jones is the the guy he was three or four years ago. Um, may, maybe he's a short term option potentially. 
Um, I don't think he's the guy that they're going to want to re-sign for four or five years to actually lead their team. So, I mean, there's they could always look to Colorado depending on how they're doing, and maybe try to pick Francis or Grubauer depending on which one's doing well. If 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 they're really looking for a guy who might be able to help them in the playoffs, because both of those guys showed that they could do it with Colorado this year. Again, I don't think either of those guys are long-term options, no. though, either. So, it, it's kind of up in the air. Uh, Matt, what do you think about Irfan's multiple questions that he's been <laughs> asking about Buffalo? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you nailed it on the head there, Kyle. I mean, if, if there's chemistry there with um, Hall and if Hall stays, uh, I can see him staying. Um, but on the flip side of that, if there is no chemistry, if, if um, he finds that, Hall is taking up all the spotlight and Hall decides to go somewhere else. I, I can't see Jack staying. I, I really can't. Yeah, that's, that's a valid point. We're going to take a quick break here. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the debacle that was the Buccaneers last week and how that is going to affect them moving forward here at Garage Door Sports. We are back. One more segment to go, boys. Let's get this done. NFL week. It was nine last week. We're on week 10. But the big story coming out of week nine was that Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers looked bad. I, 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 Tampa Bay? I did say Tampa Bay. That okay. was a joke. <laughs> okay. They looked bad, man. They, they could not get anything going against the Saints. Tom struggled to say the least and there was a lot going on Kyle what what did you pick out of that game that really stood out to you um there's really two things for me um one when you run the ball five times in the entire game um it doesn't work just just a just a thought um just a small thought I I think they were saying it was one of like the lowest in NFL history of times running the ball it was. It didn't set the record. I think it's set it, the record. It, may, it may have been the record, but it's one of those. Tom is not the young quarterback he was, and can't just sit in the pocket and throw the ball because the Saints won't let him sit in the pocket and throw the ball. No, and that's where he sits. That's that's his bread and butter. And then that's the thing, right? So it's I, I like Irfan and I saw this last year when he was with the Pats. Is if he doesn't have a complimentary run game or some sort of you know, short passing ability. Yeah. He he's not the same quarterback he was in his younger years. And and I think he needs like that that guy who can run for, you know, not necessarily anything major, but 50 or 60 yards to kind of space things out, right? Get three or four yards. So it's now it's a second and six comparatively. Um and I they just abandoned it. And then that kind of leads into my second point, which was Bruce Arians just got out coached. Um, he went to his zone defense and stuck with his own defense and Drew Brees ripped him apart. Um, you know, Drew, Drew Brees to the check down Kamara seems to be like what they only had going into that game. Obviously getting Michael Thomas back helps, but, um, letting Kamara run into open space with his own defense, just 
absolutely torched him. And Bruce Arians, I don't know if he just fell on his high horse and just didn't want to get abandoned the zone defense or what happened. Um, but he, he let that team down. No, no aspect of that team was good last week. It's also crazy to look at. You mentioned the Kamara thing. It's crazy to think that he only had nine rushes for 40 yards and he had five catches for nine yards. Mm-hmm. Like watching that game, I swear he was more involved in that game, but it, 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 they just used him when they needed him. For him, it's the threat level, right? Yeah. And whenever he's on that, whenever he is on that field, he is a threat. Absolutely. And and it's one of those you have to guard him. And like if if you try to compare to the Bucks, like Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette walks in the field, I don't view them as a threat. Like it's one of those like they're they're one dimensional. Is kind of what they are, right? So it's like one of those. If they want to, they'll just, you know, put an extra linebacker in the box and say, hey, beat us, right? Yeah. Try and run, try and run it down our throat. And if not, make Tom throw it. Tom has some of the best weapons in the NFL, and he struggled mightily this week. Well, so. that's, a, that's a question I want to bring up to you because they brought in Antonio Brown, and I'm going to throw this to Irfan first and then bring it back to you, Kyle. They brought in Antonio Brown who was supposed to be the answer for the deep ball, basically, right? Because they have Mike Evans. They got the big body receiver. They got Gronk. You add in Antonio Brown, and it looked like Tom was trying to force the play to Brown in the first half. And I don't think Evans had a target in the first half of the game. Does that play a factor in the huddle? Like, is Mike Evans going in being like, dude, you got to throw it my way? Like, is that going to cause problems moving forward if they can't figure out how to balance the targets? Irfan, we'll start with you. No, not necessarily. I mean, if you look at Antonio Brown's game with the Pats last year, I think it was the same situation. Even with Edelman, he was throwing or trying to pick out Brown just to get him into the game, get him get his confidence level up. So I don't necessarily think it's going to be a factor. I think next game, um, if this continues, then I see it being an issue. But now Brady has to say to himself, well, now I have four targets, for example, or three targets. Um, Brown's gotten one game under his belt. Let's keep going, right? Um, and quickly, I just want to go back to Kyle's point about Arians getting out coached. I think he's been out coached a few times this season. I'm looking at the last five games, and yeah, I know they beat the Packers and they beat the Raiders, but the Bears beat them, right? The Saints beat them, and they almost lost to the Giants in, in games that I don't think they looked great necessarily. And I mean, just piggybacking off what you said, Kyle, it, it's just Tom doesn't look himself, right? Like as much as as much space as you give him in the pocket. Mm-hmm. it depends on who's available for him because they're taking away his targets. Um, and Arians is just getting out coached. So um, I don't know what they're going to do this off season. If they continue to struggle or if he continues to get out uh, coached, but uh, back to your, sorry, Antonio Brown situation. I don't think it's going to be an issue because it just gives him more options and Brown, he, he's gotten some touches. So I think that's important. Kyle, your thoughts on that? Um. Well, first off, we're also kind of forgetting they have a guy named Chris Godwin. Sorry, I know. I, I did realize. So, um, I apologize. I missed Godwin. I don't think I don't think it plays a factor as long as they're winning. If they are losing, then I think it's a different story. Right. Last year, they, they were basically a 500 team. Um, Jemias Winston was chucking the ball to Godwin and Evans at every goddamn given second. So. I, I think they kind of got spoiled in that aspect compared to um, Tom, who is more divide and conquer type thing, uh, where he'll throw it. 
No, it's it's more divide and conquer because he's going to go to five or six guys during the game. He's not going to stick to one or two. Yeah, and that showed this week. They had, if you're looking at the number of targets, Gronkowski, Evans, Burnett, Godwin, and Brown all had five or more targets. Yeah. Right? You you don't get that with Jameis Winston because he's looking for the big ball every time. Yeah, and and to be honest, I think that worked for him last year. And um, Tom doesn't have the arm to do that. That's the biggest thing. So you're you're seeing you're seeing Evans and Godwin do a lot less, uh, maybe fly and go or whatever it may be, um, more deep routes. You're looking at more now looking 10, 15 yard routes compared to 20, 25 plus yards routes where it's bomb it and see if you can catch it. Yeah. So. Um, that's why you see like Scotty Miller or Gronk who are over the middle for a five, 10 yard catch, um, and let them run. So, uh, I, I think a lot, like we were saying before the season, I think a lot of people kind of overestimated as to the amount of weapons that Brady had. And all of a sudden he was going to go 14 and two. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen. Um, it's just, if we're talking Brady when he's 33, 34, maybe then I could hundred percent see it. Because that, that was some of his great years and that kind of stuff, but he's not that young buck anymore. So, no, that's um, interested to see how they bounce back this week. Um, I personally have them winning, so I, th- I think I think they're going to try and figure things out against the Panthers. So we'll see how that goes. One thing I want to add about this game, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. Um, Taysom Hill is fun to watch. <laughs> The guy led the team in rushing yards with 54. He was fifth or sixth on the team with 21 receiving yards on one catch. And he also threw for 48 yards going two for two. That guy is a jack of all trades and he's damn good at it. And they have him in probably the perfect system in New Orleans. Um, Matt, did you have anything you wanted to add on the Saints Buccaneers? Yeah, I just find that this really revealed how one-dimensional the Buccaneers are. Um, There is no backup plan. Um, There is no plan B. It is go with what you have, and if it's not working, we're going to try anyways. Um, (laughs) We're going to shove this idea down your throat, basically. Exactly. (laughs) And, and, I mean, I don't don't know how you win a Super Bowl that way. Yeah. uh, It will be interesting to see how they continue to play if they can figure out a backup plan. And the answer is you don't. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Well, Tampa Bay goes into this week. They'll be playing Carolina. They are currently six-point favorites in that game. And New Orleans gets to play the absolutely injury-riddled San Francisco 49ers. They're nine-point favorites in that game, which is no surprise. Poor San Fran, man. I, I thought that team was going to have a great year. And then 2020 hit, and they have none of their starters, basically. Anyways, let's wrap this up with our final thoughts of the week. And we will throw it to you, Matt, to give us your final thought of the week. Ah, I can't wait for the weekend. We've got uh, world number one, world number two, world number three, all tied at the top of the leaderboard. There's nothing quite like a packed leaderboard on a weekend at Augusta National. So that's my final thought. Beautiful. Irfan. Um, uh, a little sad news, but. Alex Trebek passed away earlier this week, so thoughts and prayers with his wife and children. And, of course, he's an alumni of University of Ottawa and a massive personality, and we will miss him. Absolutely. No, it was uh, sad news this week. It was a, it was a tough week across the board. Um, Kyle? 
after that, I don't want to say mine. Like, <laughs> That's why I'm letting you go. <laughs> I'm just hoping I win some bets this weekend. That's my. It was fun. a tough week. You want to you want to explain why you're saying that, Kyle? No, I don't want to explain it. It, it was a lot of losing this past weekend, and so far I'm over three on my Masters picks. So I'm not liking the way it's going, but I want to win something. I mean, I won a little bit of an NCAA last night, but. I need something this weekend. So, yeah, it was just a tough week on the betting house for Kyle. He's bouncing back this week. We feel it. Everyone feels it. Or fun. You can't have said it after mine. Like then it would have made so much better. Like man, <sighs> what? Oh, sorry. Well, the fact that I follow up Alex Rebecca and what he's done with, I need to win some bets. <laughs> oh yeah, he's Nick's been kicking it over to you first the whole time, so I thought, well, I usually well, I'd be, do. I usually yeah, kick it I, to you, and, and and then I was like, well, I, I usually end with mine, but sorry, buddy. Uh, Kyle's mad at me now. Oh well. Um, my <laughs> my final thought is congratulations to Kim. Yeah. Ng, first female GM in major league baseball history. Uh, became the GM of the Miami Marlins yesterday. Uh, that's a fantastic story. Used to work for the Yankees, so she had a connection with Jeter, and they, they've they been working together ever since, and she finally gets the opportunity to be the GM. Yeah. Fantastic story. I know Jeff Passan brought that story up, um, and a lot of people have been commenting. She isn't the first female uh, GM of North American sports, but she is the first one for MLB. So yeah. um, we have the WNBA and WSL. Um, of course, no. I, yeah, that's and, why I and, said Major League Baseball. No, I know, I know. You said that. It's just that I had a lot. Sure I, I saw. <laughs> I had a lot of like really like known people in the sports world kind of tweet, uh, quote tweet Jeff Passan and say, "Dude, there's like three other major women's leagues that you're forgetting about." But um, yeah, you, you and gotta, he wasn't. He was, yeah, he wasn't clear, and I think that's what uh, got people pissed. But yes, congratulations to all these fantastic people. Yeah, and you've seen the trend a lot in the last couple of years in the MLB where females are getting prominent positions within the teams. I know San Francisco, one of their assistant coaches is uh, a female. They also have one. It was another team that recently made a big move. Was it the A's? I always think it's the A's, but I could be wrong. You think everything is the A's, though, in the MLB. <laughs> yeah, man, they're so good. No. <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's it's a nice trend to see. So that will do it for us this week. Make sure you follow us on all the social media networks. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, it's at Garage Door Sport. There is no S because Twitter has a uh, character cap. On Instagram, it's at Garage Door Sports. If you want to follow myself, it's at Nick McVicker. Kyle is at Kyle Vardy. And Irfan is at Irfan Manji. Matt, you're going to have to get Twitter at some point because we got to give you a, a shout-out. At, at Apparently, all right, yeah. <laughs> I'll get a handle eventually. At some point, we'll get a handle for you, and uh, you'll be able to see Matt's uh, golf conversations and, you know, any other thoughts that he has coming up. That'll do it. Make sure you tune into all the shows across the network, and we will see you next week.